Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. All righty. So in the studio, uh, we have our normal host of uh, sound or of, of uh, Let the Sawdust Fly, Peter Wood. Almost let that slip out quite wrong. There, I know. Brad. I thought you were taking over the show there for a minute. I was hoping. <laughs> well, how do you go from Duluth with skunks to Canyon Cotton area oh, up to man, all the way to Isabella Ely area? Now we're all the way up to Isabella with Wally uh, logging in, in Ely. In the Ely area. Ely and Isabella. But Wally was willing to come down and talk about their family operation. Uh, that originated out of the Isabella area. Um, the, we went up there last weekend and talked with Wally and his wife, and it's beautiful country up there. The roads are, they look like they're designed by loggers, crooked, rolling, and always hitting high spots all the way. Beautiful car ride, but I thought, this is terrible for hauling wood because oh, it's, it's, be it's so slow. Elroy, Wally's brother, would always tease me saying, you're so close to the mill, you don't even turn around a truck. You just back up from the mill. And I said, what's turning around a truck? We just back <laughs> up. <laughs> but up there, it's it's uh, your A game has to be on when you're driving truck up there. It really does, especially in the wintertime. We get the snow and everything's starting to get slippery in that. And Wally, he's been doing it his whole life, and his family started back, what, Wally, back in the early 50s, was yeah. it? 1951, my dad came up here and... 1959, we came up here. Wow. He came up and stayed in 57 to 59, and we moved up here, our family from Thorpe, Wisconsin. And Wally, your family has been logging during that whole period of time? Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Yeah, if they let us, yeah. <clears throat> now, do you own a lot of your own property as well, or do you just uh, lease uh, most property? Most of the stuff that we do is on federal property okay. through the federal government, state, county, some sure. county, some private, but not, not a real lot. Okay. Now, guys, explain to me again, because I'm kind of a neophyte at this uh, with the logging area, but winter winter road conditions uh, come off when in the spring? I mean, first of all, it gets you, you go from being able to drive almost anywhere in the dead of winter. You can go out and log areas that are on the other side of bogs. You can uh, log areas that uh, are on swampy areas. But when do those conditions start to really make a difference? I mean, when do you start seeing the ground soften up to a point that you... Usually around the first day of April. Uh, first we run April, right, okay. right up to the end of uh, April a lot of times. There's times that we've worked into you know May, but okay. not very often. But with our new road system and stuff, we can we can still get wood out of the swamps, okay. stockpile it, and we'll probably haul. We fall over to Superior Parkland over there. Okay. We'll do that, you know probably right straight through what we call breakup okay. which which ends about uh about a 20 20 20 25th of may that's of may so it, from yeah. about april 1st till about that time in may that's when it's pretty tough to get on some of those roads uh just about impossible most yeah. places yep okay he's farther north now you get southern you know down by the moore area or hinkley yeah it'll get warmer faster there by a bit oh sure there might be there could be a literally a two-week window difference between isabella and mora hinkley area it could be a big window there now i think i know the answer to this but i'm going to ask it anyway when you're logging in those areas uh in the winter and you know that the uh, the thaw is going to come, or whatever you call it. I don't know. Yeah, is there a spring, terminology? Spring thaw. For, yeah, or for, break up. We break call up. it break up, too, yeah. Okay, so you know this breakup is going to happen. Do you purposely, ahead of time, haul a lot of logs out to an area where you can get to them with truck, where it's 
drier? Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. We okay. stockpile. Some outfits further north, they they stockpile like maybe 10, 20,000 cords that they'll do over the summer because that's, what that's what they, all they've got up north sure. is swamps. We got rock. You know, I've seen that. I think we've all seen that. I think we've all seen that in some areas where you'll see a log, big logging operation has yep. gone in and they're logging off a whole area. And they bring the logs down fairly close to the road. So, and I'm, I'm assuming it's because it's just easier to haul that way. It's uh, Another thing is the truck turnaround time can get kind of a little bit tough at the mills because there's so many surge. There's such a huge surge coming in okay. that a lot, a lot of loggers will stockpile because they can get the same. They can get two, three times the amount of wood out during that winter season, whereas if you sit in line for two hours, you're not going to get the wood out. So they'll pile it up. Then they can haul it in during the May, April, June, even July time. They will keep bringing it in, or even August. Like okay. up where, where Wally's at, there's a lot, a lot of rock. And then if you get up by the Little Fork area, you got a lot of swamp, and it's flatter. They can produce a lot of wood, but then their season is different. Where okay. they can go, it can rain and rain and rain. Yeah. They can keep going up in uh, Isabella Ely area. Yeah. Wally, I'm interested. When your family came up here, you said your dad came up here in what, 51? 51 the first winter he worked okay. up here. Yeah. Had he been logging down in Wisconsin before that? No, really. he, he was a cow farmer. He was okay. a farmer back then. I, I don't know if he was farming because there were so many rock piles. I don't know if it was farming or <laughs> rock piles. Or rock or pile, yeah. <laughs> so, so when you guys got started in the logging business, you basically had to go into it cold neophyte without a lot of equipment uh you didn't know what what you were going to well you probably knew what you might need but you went into it slow and gradually built up i'm sure oh yeah definitely yeah okay yeah he come up here probably with a cross cut and uh fin hook and a cant hook or whatever he yeah. used you know back in the day yeah probably didn't even own any of your own trucks or anything oh at no that back, time. T- back then uh, my dad he used horses sure. lots of horses he went through do the, are are there still areas that use horses to this very day because um, of uh, easiness to get them out on wet areas no the no? only i don't know of any personally last time i remember personally uh, somebody using horses was a guy from the cotton area him and uh i can't use his name because i don't have the uh, i don't want to use it unless he gives me the okay on it but it was two guys from the Cotton Kelsey area, and this is probably 25 years ago. Okay. That they actually cut the spruce, put an eight foot, put on Dre, and then they used horses to actually get it to the roadside. Okay. And it was really something to see that they were, somebody was actually willing to do it. But other than that, I personally don't know of anybody else. There probably is somebody out there that's doing a little bit, but it's it's you. Everything is so expensive, you can't really mess around unless you're going to do it and do something else for a full-time job. Okay. Because everything gets so expensive to do. And like where Wally is from, I mean, you think about that, folks. The guy came up from Wisconsin. Not, I don't know if he knew anybody when he came up here. Did he know anybody? Uh, I might have known someone up here. I, I really couldn't tell you who it would have been. No, but you know, you're going that yeah. far away. Yeah. To a, no, it isn't like four-lane roads. you got all these goat trails. That, this is back yeah. in the 50s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're going way up there to cut wood? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happened, though, is a lot of the people from our, where I live in Isabella there, that's where they came from, in, is Wisconsin, sure. central Wisconsin. Now, Wally, is, is logging still predominantly a large part of the economy up in that area? I mean, I know you've got, yeah. you've got uh, mining in some areas, and you've got a lot of tourism trade, a lot of uh, canoeing and outfitting and those kinds of things. But logging still got to be a big part of the economy. Well, it is to a certain extent. It's not like even close to what it used to is be. Is that right? There's probably uh, maybe there are six decent 
what I call decent is decent sized loggers in the area. Okay. Other than that, you know, there used to be uh, oh crepes. I mean, I don't know how many thousand people around yeah. there. But now then the mines moved in, and, and you can't blame the people. They're, they're I've seen uh, I've seen some pictures of some of the old logging operations where they had. Uh, uh, bunk houses built for a hundred guys, and they had uh, kitchen mm-hmm. setups where they'd have uh, one main cook and two, three sub cooks. Yep. They'd make all the meals and everything. It was big time operations back yeah. then. Up in Isabella, wasn't it, wasn't it more of a smaller, like a lot of small places, like family individual places, and they're scattered through the whole thing? Because he was telling us stories when we were up there that about how. There sounded like a bar every mile <laughs> <Pretty cool. laughs> on these logging roads. And then there's a general store probably next to that. Yeah. Sure. And there was probably a church every third bar. <laughs> when we when we moved to Forest Center in uh, 1959, there were, they had a two-cat generators for the power. Okay. They had a general store, and they had a post office. Okay. And there was approximately 50, 50 to 55 families. Plus, wow. there was like... There was probably 10 little small camps. We called them shackers. There were a bunch of old lumberjacks that lived out in the woods, out, you know, maybe three, four shacks in a sure. area. And about every little lake had a place, you know, that's where huh. they took care of their horses and that's stuff like that, you know. And it, 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 it was it's pretty interesting. But then that Pagami fire come through and you can't tell where anything oh, is now. Oh, man. So. You know, I, let, let's talk about the impact of fires in, in these areas. Have there been other major fires that have gone through those areas over the years and wiped out a lot of the uh, the loggable wood? Oh, in certain areas, yes. Have uh, they? Nothing like the Pagami, though. That Pagami was actually was about six miles from my house. If the wind would have switched, the day that it went 16 miles, we wouldn't be talking oh, about What What year range was that big fire around? Yeah. That was only like nine years ago, I want to think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like mm-hmm. that, yeah. Yeah, now, you weren't up there during the big ones, like the big cloquet fire that wiped out uh, Moose Lake and no, some of those no, areas? No, we weren't. Okay. That, that took place, I think, back in the teens. Yeah. yeah something was, like yeah. that, I think, late teens, like 1918 or something like that. Okay. My dad wasn't even born yet then. So. Yeah. There you go. So I, I've often thought or, or wondered, do we have any real hardwood that we log up in this area, or is it mostly popple and things like that for the mills? Uh, there's hardwood, but in different areas, like where I'm at, it's, there's a transition. As you get farther south, you're going to get more hardwood. As you go okay. farther north, you're going to get more of the pines and that because the weather dictates what's going to really grow on the ground and that. Sure. Like up in the Keel area, the in Isabella Ely area, there's a lot more... I think evergreens, you would say, and birch, yeah. and there's aspen mixed with it. But it, there's a fair there's a fair amount of the evergreens. Yeah, it's all a lot of a lot of conifers. We call it, you know, the needle type tree, jack pine, Norway sure. white pine. Sure. Uh, a lot of them you can't cut because of the regulations and stuff like that. But we had a guy yesterday. I thought you'd enjoy this just for your own curiosity. We had a guy yesterday that calls into the show once in a while. He lives out in the woods someplace. And he was telling us that he was listening to the show while sitting there sipping his uh, pine, needle. pine needle tea. <laughs> you ever okay. heard of that? Balsam uh, no. fur, he that said. That was he probably makes made out of balsam. I was yeah. going to say that because that's what it tastes like. It's like gin. <laughs> if you don't yeah. want that to well, like. And, and he indicated that it. It originally was uh, was a Native American remedy to get rid of like scurvy and rickets yeah. and stuff. 
It might. Um, I've, I'm not a tea or coffee drinker. I actually started drinking coffee a little bit lately. This is so you more just energy. go straight for the booze out in the woods, right? <laughs> just get the chainsaw out and get the Jack Daniels. Yeah, on. I feel real good every day. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, not quite. Uh, but uh, no, I've, I've never tried that stuff. The, the balsam or spruce tea or anything like yeah. that. I mean, if I suppose it, it will, maybe it'll work in the right way, but I, no, well, I'm not was, a doctor. It was right? interesting because because we had Lady O'Collett in around the same time, and I asked her that, and she said, "Oh yeah, that's a well-known uh, Native American remedy for for things." Uh, the the early settlers to this area noticed that the Native Americans had nice clean teeth, nice clear white teeth, and uh, and a lot of the settlers came with wood teeth and other things, and they found out that was part of it was they were drinking this pine needle tea and they don't boil it they just evidently kind of brew it like uh, just let it simmer it and, and um, mesh together with the water and that i think so the only thing i've come close to is we do our own maple tapping in the spring ourselves okay. which is excellent but we did birch one time and tried that it doesn't taste very good but it's supposedly like a good aspirin and i have not tried it when i've had a bad headache or something like that but i thought of trying it but that's the only thing i can say close is some birch okay tapping so to speak I do know an old boy that he's passed a few years ago, though. We called him Right Richard. Everything he done was right. And he used balsam for every injury he got. He really? claimed, but man. He'd make it into a paste to well, put on his arm. I arms, think he just or? plucked it off the tree and used it. He just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He lived to be 85 or better, so. <laughs> Must not have been all bad for him. <laughs> I, uh, Red, I just handed a note here. And I, I didn't realize this, but that fire started August 8th of 2011 by a. By a lightning strike? By a lightning strike. Yeah. And okay. the Forest Service didn't figure it burned enough, so they put some... Sure, sure. Throw Are gasoline on it to help it go yeah, along faster? They use a little yep. heavier than that. Yeah, even. yeah. A little more work little coming our way. Fluid. Yeah. A little uh, DNR lighter fluid getting going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, they just, yeah. They actually did. But anyway, um, it's, it's nice that Wally could come down here and his family. His dad actually... Didn't your dad... Because I remember talking to us Wallace every time I'd see him. He was a great older guy. Now, folks, listen to this. He started here 1951, correct, Wally? Yep, first time yep. ever. And he would work till. Now, listen to this. What? How old is he when he quit working? Actually, about 92. 92. Uh, he was still yeah. out in the woods. Yeah, he probably would still be coming out there helping us boys out, but uh, he got the shingles. And uh, is he still alive? He passed away the third of December. Oh, he did. Okay. Not, How old was he when he died? 95. 95. Yeah. Not 1992. He worked out there until he was 92. <laughs> was yeah, I know. I got that. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> and he'd get in those bunchers. He'd run cat, didn't he? Wally? Oh, yeah, he run all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He'd make road. And when he got older, he'd make road. And uh, my brother would say, well, what's it look like? He says, I'm not looking back, he says. <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of comments, that guy. So now tell me, tell me a little bit about the nationality background of your family. You Swedish, uh, Norwegian, what, 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 what kind of background? English, French. A little bit of everything. Yeah, just uh, Heinz 57, I okay. guess. Yeah, yeah. Now, when when he first moved up here in 51, you the family wasn't with him, evidently. He no, came no. up to try it out on his own, yeah. see what was going on, and then called for you guys to come up later. Yep. And it, yeah, we'd come up. For, then he came up here by himself in 57, and then we'd, you know, he'd either come home or we'd come up here and visit sure. him or whatever, you know. 
So did you kind of like when you came up here to visit it? When you, did you kind of like the area, or did you think, well, well, what I, am I going to do up there? There's I nothing suppose up there. there. Yeah, well, that's about it. You know, all you had, all you seen was a bunch of old lumberjacks. There's sure. lots of kids around, but you didn't know them. You know, just like sure. getting taken out of your regular school. You know, yeah. like a kid today, I suppose. You know, but oh yeah. But it was it was quite a place to live. You you wouldn't believe it. You, and some of the stories I can't tell you. So. <laughs> now, when your when your family first moved up here, did did he did your dad buy a home? Did you build a, a place? What did uh, actually you know. at Forest Center they they supplied the cabins to you? Oh, they did. They, okay, we, we had we called them shacks. They put them together. Like for us, there were seven kids plus mom and dad. Wow. Well, we had like three shacks put together and whatever you know, and it, it just it, it was a. It was amazing, is what went on. Now, was this uh, was this in Isabella or up by Ely, or where was it? Right on the the edge of the Boundary Waters, in Lake Isabella. If you know where that is, I don't. Sure, yeah, Yeah, I do. Yep. Yep. So, uh, speaking of the Boundary Waters, are we still having effects from the big blowdown all those years ago up in that area, or has it pretty much? Time has cleaned up its own operation, and well, there's still stuff up there that should have been cleaned up, you yeah. know. But uh, they complain about the fires and stuff, and it really, actually, that Pagami didn't hit that much of a blowdown, didn't it? No, okay, no, it kind of skirted it. Now, is it is it true what we heard uh, down here? I heard, for example, that on the Canadian side of the blowdown, they went in there and they logged off everything. They basically. Uh, took anything that was downed by the wind and logged it and stacked it and sold it and they don't want nice you around up there yeah. it was the instant it was down uh, they started working on it okay we still haven't uh too many issues but what do you do i mean uh too well late it's that environmental thing you can't go in there with motorized vehicles yeah. you can't do this you can't do that you can't take a chainsaw in there i remember seeing some of the early uh, TV footage of the blowdown where there were campers with the, maybe part of their tent was still up, the other part was taken down by a tree, and they're standing in this stack of downed wood, waving at the choppers, help us, get us out of here. Yeah, but they didn't want us up there to help them out. No, unless, they didn't. Unless there was emergency. did not want you in there to, to do any logging at all. Nope. Did they ever clear up any of the campsites at all, or... You know, that part I don't know because I won't go up there because of the issues. Sure. <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, I guess they had to because there's still people go up there. It's not like it used to be. No, you know, but. no, it's not uh, nearly as, as busy as it used to be. Yeah. So what other things, Peter, are you finding right now up in that area? Um, as far as... Um, as far as logging, uh, are you finding any... Um, 20 years ago today, July 4th, 1999... Oh, the blowdown! Yeah. Oh, that, that was when it took place. Okay. It could have been. It could have been cleaned up, but the the issue that would have been back then, big thing is, the you could have, there wouldn't have been enough loggers to do it, but they could have did it with who they could. Sure. To get it all cleaned up totally would have been tough because everybody, all loggers plan out at least one or two years in advance, and so to go up there because I remember talking to somebody that was running for politician was running for the governorship actually. He never made it, but he said he would, if he had, if he was governor at the time, he would have said, I would have gone in there and we would have cleaned it up. I said, you would have had a tough time getting enough loggers up there to clean it all up Yeah, because they're so busy and there isn't enough. It isn't like when Wally's family came up here and there was thousands of people doing this. Yeah. You know, we have the machines now today, but it's, everybody's planned out because everything is so expensive to do. Well, like that situation, you would have got some of it cleaned up and it could have been cleaned up. 
it's like any any job can be done. It's whether or not financially can it be done. Yeah. When you get blow down, your production goes in half at least. Yeah. And you get frustrated and the operators get really upset because you're constantly twisting and turning trying to get that wood out of the way. Sure. And it, it could have been, but not right now that old wood, it isn't worth anything. I don't even know if you could chip it up and throw it no, for boiler fuel. I don't fuel. think it ever make chips. No, it's too It's too. Uh, it's rotting. And rotted and, away. Yeah. Yeah. It'll get that punky. Was, yeah, a lot of it was conifers and yeah. stuff like that, so it, it rots a lot quicker. Yep. <laughs> Guys, we have to take our Fox News break at the bottom of the hour, but maybe when we come back we can talk a little bit more. <clears throat> I know that there have been some potential markets that may be opening up for wood up in the range area. Let's talk a little bit more about them, what you hear lately about the potential for that, and uh, and then maybe talk a little bit more about uh, the days gone by, what it was like to log in those days. So, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He's Sleep's a lumberjack and he's okay. We couldn't get by without that one. <laughs> Say, uh, you know, when we were away. <laughs> he's not going to let this song stop. He loves this. <laughs> and we go shopping and we and we have a little tea. Butter sconce. Sconce. With our sconce. <laughs> You know, when we were away at break there, uh, uh, Wally gave me the family history here. Uh, did your dad write this originally, or you where know, did this come from? Someone sh- wrote it up and was going to have some articles, and there's actually part two of that, too, but I, okay. it's on my phone, and I, I don't know how to print it out, plus you can't read it. So, Well, I, now I made a copy of it, and I can read it pretty easily, yeah. and I'll just give you a little highlights here, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about the history of that time. May 21st, 1957, I came up to Minnesota from Wisconsin. This is your dad talking now, uh, Wallace, uh, and started my career in logging. I started working with the John, is it Scheffler? Yep. Scheffler in a little logging camp near Bald Bald Eagle Lake. At that time, I had just a horse and a fin hook to help me skid and pile the logs. Then in the fall of 1957, I moved to Forest Center and worked for Tomahawk Timber Company. In December of that same year, I bought my first cat, which was a John Deere 420, and also I made a a power jammer to help me pile the wood. At that time, I had a partner, Louis Harbon? Harbon. Harbon. And then he said, in June of 1959, I moved my family to Forest Center from Wisconsin to join me there. Not long after that, my partner quit working with me, so I was alone once again. Uh, I continued working with my power jammer, John Deere 420, until 1962 when I sold the cat and bought a 1010 John Deere to get more power and faster production to help me keep up with the cost of the economy. So it was during that period of time that you guys, uh, the whole family moved up. And when did the kids first start working in the woods with Dad to help them out? Long before we were supposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Long before child labor laws. Everybody came into did play. that wall. You didn't. We all do it. Yeah, everybody. Did. No, I suppose. Well, actually, we started on the farm. My brother and I. We sure. Driving tractors or whatever, you know. I mean, oh, we're yeah. talking eight, nine years old. I got a nephew now that he's the youngest one of the crew. He's ten years old, so you know, wow. it's just 
He's our best skitter hop hitter. If you don't believe it, just ask him. If you don't believe it, just ask him. Nobody heard that. <laughs> no, nobody from the Labor Department listens, I don't think. <laughs> well, that, that's interesting history. But, you know, I mean, we were talking about that, but we also, uh, Peter, you were telling me that the family has some some real deep history when it comes to the military as well. Yes, it's really, really interesting, folks. If you can just bear with us a little bit. It's not off topic, but it is on topic. It's some of the, the Wally Keel family, um, some of them have made it quite, quite far in the military, okay? And beyond what anybody really knew, because uh, Elroy, his brother, it was his son. And I thought it was real special to listen to Elroy tell me about these stories. And he could, I do believe, could, didn't he have his pilot license, his son, before he could even drive a car? Wasn't that? No, not quite, like but he was flying. He was, real close yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, he was and pretty close. Why don't you elaborate how, what happened to him and how it went all about it? Because it's quite a story. You can come from Ely, Minnesota, yeah. folks, and become this, okay? Be- become, yeah. yeah. What he's going to tell you about. Well, my dad was a vet, and my brother Elroy was a vet. Elroy okay. was in Vietnam. Yep. And uh, James, well... My dad or his his dad worked the hell out of him so much that he decided this wasn't for him at all. So he, <laughs> cutting wood that is cutting wood. Yes. Yeah. So he he actually went with a good friend of his, ours family kind of, and uh, he went flying one day with him. And okay. he says, "This is what I'm going to do. This is what yeah. I want to do." Yeah. And before you know it, he went to ROTC and all that, and then he wound up flying off air carriers and stuff like that. Now, that. did he fly off of aircraft carriers in Vietnam? No, no, he's too young for that. Oh, he's, he's he'll okay. only be fifty years old here. Oh, up, so. okay, but but your the one that was the Top Gun. That's my nephew. Okay, yeah, he'll be fifty now. Uh, yeah. Okay, this is one yeah. we're talking about right now. Yeah. Okay. James Kuehl would be Elroy Kuehl's son. Okay, yeah. who's now going to be pushing fifty? That, now is he retired from the Navy now or? Yeah, he's retired from the Navy five, six, seven years probably now. He flies nice. for United. Oh, yep. he is. So he yep. went and went did commercial work. Okay. Yeah. Then he comes. He comes into Duluth. He comes in like on a thirty-hour layover, and then we put him up in the woods. If we got some hard work to do, that's what we make him do. That <laughs> <laughs> family love just keeps coming through, doesn't it? Yeah. Come home, go to work, go yeah. back and relax. Come home and go to work. We got it all planned for his next trip. Yeah. So he ended up being in the Top Gun program out of Miramar, the naval program yes. where they put their top flight, uh, yep. you know, flyers, yep. yeah, and they put them right. through a real program, boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he done. He done great, boy. He, and he loved yeah. it. Just yeah. loved oh, it. Oh yeah. Yep. Now the one that was in Vietnam was he in the Air Force or Navy? No, or he what? was Army. Drafted. He was Army. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Was a tank mechanic or something. Yeah. Like that. So the the Navy one that was the Top Gun, he probably flew everything from during that period of time from F four Phantoms up to the F 15s or whatever well, they fly today. You'd have to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't Anything know. Anything and yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's of course why those guys make great pilots when they get out of the military because they're still young enough yet they're considered mature enough to become a captain of a major Mm -hmm. commercial airliner he was one of the better ones in the united states because when he was flying off aircraft carriers and he came back to the united states because he was overseas flying where he couldn't even tell his folks where he was at oh man flying in areas he can't talk about but he came back here now think about that he comes back and now he's teaching our pilots in our navy or air force or whatever to be better pilots so that should tell you he's one of the better ones. And he came out of just Ely, Minnesota. Jeez. You think about that. Yeah, yeah he even graduated from Ely High School. Wow. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of that going on up there over the years. I mean, Ely has had a very uh, deep history in the military. A lot of uh, veterans have come out of the Ely area. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but but back to logging a little bit. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your memories of the early days uh, in logging and and how it has matured. When did you guys first, for example, see the introduction of these? I guess they're called feller bunchers, where the machine could pick a tree up, cut it, and move it all in one. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It would have been like in 76, I suppose. Okay. We, my dad and I bought a, um, a rubber tired buncher with a boom on it. And that's what, you know, that's what we fell with. I think Harry Fisher, one of the best loggers around years ago, he had it. Okay. And we bought it. And then after that, we went to track outfits, you know, like that. So Now, do you, do you guys, do you still see uh, a desire on the on that of the young people to go into logging? Or is that pretty much... Well, they're 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 so much better off to go to the mines and stuff with the benefits and the money. You, yeah, you can't you can't compete with them with the mines as far as the money and uh, sure. if they want to have a family, they I know kids yeah. people got five kids. You couldn't do that in the logging business, hardly. You got to really really want to do this, and it's it's the nature of our industry. You work a tremendous amount. If you think I'm going to work five days a week and just take the weekends off in yeah. our industry, you, you might as well stop because it's, it's, it's a constant, isn't it? Well, it's a seven oh, day a week yeah. process. It's pretty much, I'll probably suffer for this tomorrow. Since I'm standing here. <laughs> Cause you'll be back. <laughs> I know. I'm sure my brother's sitting here loading the truck right now. I'm oh, waiting yeah. for me to get back. <laughs> Hurry up, get back out here. We're not doing this for free. <laughs> but it, it is a lot of work. I mean, if, if a young person like my son, I wanted him, he could have went and did something else, but I, I'm glad he's working with me full time in the woods, and it is neat. But it seems like there's a higher percentage that are not young right. people coming yeah. in, and there's certain areas. Don't get me wrong; there's certain areas like you get up by the International Falls, seem like more of the family uh, businesses of logging. The young ones are getting into it. It might be because they're quite a ways away from everything. I, I, is think, what that's I think it is part of it, don't you? The, yeah, the, the, I, it, there's no alternative really. And, and that's it. If you want to yeah. stay up in that area, you got to do something to make a living. And, right, and so you better get good at it, or yeah. you're going to be pushed out. Yeah, and like up in Wally's area up there, you know, hopefully more young people want to come in. But it's 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 a tougher area. It really, it just yeah. is. You know, you got all those hills and rocks, oh, and you're yeah. bunching and. You're like we were talking earlier about how you're bunching, don't you, Ollie? That you got to really plan it out. Oh yeah, you, you just don't go and make a long swath down a swamp or something like that, or on a ridge. No, it comes all of a sudden. You're up against a big bank that's 15 feet high. You can't get up it, no way, you know, and stuff like that. You gotta, you gotta think a little bit too much, and that's getting yeah. hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> that that is, uh, I, I mean, when over the years that we've been talking uh, to you, Pete, it's become more and more evident that logging is really a profession, one that has to take uh, a lot of physical activity, but it also has to take a certain amount of management. You've got to be able to manage a business as well. You've got to be able to know what your costs are, how to get the most out of your costs. You've got to be cost effective. Yes, it's you got to be a very business head constantly. You're always thinking how to how to produce more with less. Yeah, basically because there's there is like I said in the past, there's no safety net. You're on your own. Yep. If you do not, you either sink or swim. You're not gonna. There's nobody gonna be coming along and helping you out. You're on your own all the time. 
But that's what we grew up with. Like, Wally and his family, it's what you grew up with. You don't know any better, do you, yeah. Wally? <laughs> I guess not. That's I what my wife tells me every morning. <laughs> but, uh, no, the technology now is so far out of line that with us. You well, know. and that that's another thing that I'd still like to know. Uh, maybe in one of the future shows we can talk about that, about how uh, how you know whether a piece of equipment or a new piece of technology is financially worth the risk to buy, whether it will make that. I mean, there's really got to be a whole process that you get through, isn't there, to, to figure out cost-effectiveness of something? Yeah, I got somebody hopefully lined up coming in the future to talk about okay. that. We'll see right. if I can't let the cat out of the bag yet, no, if no. they can make it in that. <laughs> no, no. One of our listeners asked the question, do loggers still supply uh, wood for the cardboard plants in St. Paul? Well, I don't know. Do you, Wally? None, none from around here that no. I know of. There may be some unknown. Maybe some chipping off it because cardboard yeah. is a low low grade and yeah. it can yeah. be brown and kind of ugly in that. But yeah. that I couldn't answer truthfully where they're getting their raw product from. It's there is a place down in South St. Paul, but I think that's an energy plant, isn't it, that takes chips? That's uh, chips. That's biomass, yeah, yeah, biomass. And they turn it in. But that's gone way down because of probably a couple of years ago when the natural gas and everything got cheaper, and then they yeah. changed it at the, yeah. the St. Paul level. Okay. But that would have to be another story. But, yeah, yeah. They, there is somebody that still consumes some chips of biomass, but it's way, way down to what it used to be okay. a long time ago. Well, Boise was supposed to start up cardboard plant maybe they did start it and then they shut it down too uh, the way i understand it oh really yeah this is a few years ago already. okay yep. i don't know if they were still going or not no, on that. as far as i know because i know some of the people that were supposed to work there and they uh they just huh. shut it down so. oh, i know okay. the uh the the paper industry itself i should say has really come through changes hasn't it i mean greatly yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean because of things like this computers things like that yeah cell phones People, they, I'm, I mean, the plant we built out here in West Duluth back, uh, oh, wasn't that? In the that, 80s. Yeah, it wasn't it was that long ago, it didn't seem like. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden they're trying to find new markets because there's not a huge market right. for high-quality calendar-type paper anymore. Right. Yep. People just don't use that much for flyers and newspapers and things. Yeah. That's one of those things either you have to adapt and even mills have to adapt because if you don't, you can try and make the product if nobody wants to buy it or a percentage of it is too small, True. you will not sell your product at a profitable. Oh, yeah. And pretty soon you will slowly you will slowly wither away. You know? Yeah, you won't be around for sure. Well, guys, I, I want to thank you both for coming in. Uh, uh, Pete, uh, it's always fun to have you in. And Wally Keel, is it Keel? Keel, yeah. Keel. It was uh, wonderful, uh, and thank you very much. I'm going to keep this, and maybe we'll post some of it up on our webpage about the history of your family and logging up in that area. It's been very interesting to meet you and talk to you this morning as well. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks folks, for listening. Thank you, Brad. Thank All right. You very much. Thank, Thank you. Much. We're going to take our last break of the morning, then we'll come back and wrap up this hour here on Sound Off uh, shortly on 710 WDSM.